Welcome to the Makeshift CMO, a startup marketing podcast for founders and early stage company teams. All right, guys, on today's episode of the Makeshift CMO, cheers, ladies and gentlemen. It's not Friday, it is Tuesday. I am very lucky to be joined uh, by one of my favorite ex-colleagues, uh, Aaron Savati. Um, Aaron's gonna bring a real 360 lens to what we're talking about. Um, I previously worked with Aaron at Energy X, where we were just joking about the time we built our sales and marketing funnel up from the ground up back in 2018, which feels more like 2010 by now with how much time has passed. Um, Aaron brings an entrepreneurial side to him. He was the former founder and director at Insight Energy Group, uh, to which then he joined Energy X with us, uh, where I had the pleasure of working with him for about a year. Aaron, uh, congratulations on just becoming a father. Um, thanks. Yeah. How, how, how are things, man? Things are, things are great. Things are wild. Things are, are, are really, really wild, but things are, are really good. It's been, uh, the last year has been a wild ride going through the, the tail end of a pregnancy and the beginnings of, of a birth. Um, but it's been great. It's been the best part of this pandemic, without a doubt. I always think uh, it's, it's cool for people to talk about, oh, what, a, what an adjustment this was. And then you have someone like um, Aaron who became a father, um, who's one of the main sales guys for a company that is, you know, grow, grow, grow. And, you know, having worked there in the past, knowing that they have high expectations at all times to adjusting from working from home. Um, and you know, Aaron's a, Aaron's a real outdoors guy too. So, you know, it can't be, that could not have been easy for Mr. Kayak to, to go, Mr. Um, Canoe. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Canoe, Mr. Canoe to go bound uh, inside. But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's exciting to have you on. Um, I figure I'll start Thank off. You. Yeah, I'll, I figure I'll start off with, uh, with an old Energy X tradition um, for those who are listening. Um, it, during our all hands, we used to ask uh, everyone what keeps you up at uh, night. So I'm going to ask Aaron at the start of this podcast, what keeps you up at night, man? Well, very literally, uh, a crying baby will keep me up at night many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, not all night. <laughs> but how much are you sleeping? Keep... How much? How much are you sleeping? I, uh, I'm sleeping relatively quite well right now. My wife's a different story, um, but but we're we're very lucky. Our baby's a great sleeper for the most part. But um, we, what's keeping me up at night is is the the ever ongoing balance that I'm I'm trying to navigate between a high growth startup and a family right now is what's a yeah I totally I I was gonna ask what is a what's a tougher challenge getting getting the baby to fall asleep or uh, shortening the enterprise sales cycle <laughs> shortening the enterprise sales cycle really for sure for sure it's a bigger challenge yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay all the all the all the mothers and fathers just immediately uh yeah. stop listening to this podcast <laughs> but, uh, we gain a lot of 
salespeople that are like, amen, there you brother. Go. Hell yeah. Amen, <laughs> amen brother. Um, so yeah, let's do the typical podcast thing. Um, so Aaron, I first met you uh, just for the audience's benefit back in early 2018 uh, when you waltz into our office. Uh, sales salesman in his blood uh, trying to sell our company something. Uh, <laughs> trying to sell our company something. Uh, you were then. Uh, no, you, you know what it was. We, we were we were sorry to interrupt. No, where I approached you guys because I I wanted to bid on RFP with you, and right, I hate right. writing RFPs. I hate writing RFPs, but everyone likes winning them, but no one likes writing them. So I approached you guys. I forget how I even how I even found you in the first place, but I, I approached you guys because I thought, well, they must have a team. They'll write the RFP. I'll uh, I'll, I'll manage it, slap my name on it, and and we're off to the races. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, what happened. Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so why don't we backtrack a bit? Um, tell us about what energy inside energy group was, what, how that led to energy X, um, and where your background for energy efficiency actually came from. Cause not a lot of people would intuitively know that. Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with that. Um, I, I went to school for environmental studies um, at York University, and I did a great environmental studies program there. I, I focused, specialized in environmental policy and environmental management. The goal was to go to law school uh, and be an environmental lawyer. And wrote my LSATs, didn't do very well on them. And didn't do very writing. well, eh? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not a great test person whatsoever. Um, so studied uh, quite hard, wrote the LSATs, didn't do terribly and bond them, but I, I did not, I didn't like do well. Um, so I was going to write them again. And in the meantime, I was like, well, I, I got to work somewhere, right? While I'm, I'm doing this. Um, so a friend of mine, Melissa, um, was who I was in a program with. She was working at an HVAC company doing energy audits. Um, so yeah. running, running around buildings, commercial buildings, um, literally auditing the, the facility. So, so taking down all the energy information uh, and, and helping building owners save money, essentially. Um, so she hooked me up with an internship, uh, or no, not an internship, it was a job. Yeah, it was a full, full-time job at this company. And I, I didn't know the first thing about HVAC at all, um, but I thought this could be kind of cool and enjoy the company and fell in love with it. Small company um, based out of Mississauga and absolutely loved it. I was, I was called, I was, I was sort of jumping between boiler rooms and boardrooms. So I'd be in boiler rooms in the morning <laughs> and, and crawling like literally under these like your traps um like collecting information and then in the in the afternoons i'd be in boardrooms uh like meeting with cfos presenting uh like high level and really in-depth as well information about energy savings potential in their buildings so it was it was great loved it uh ditched the idea of law school altogether um i i got into the field for very um for a variety of different reasons, but I really wanted to have like a, a, a meaningful impact on the environment and on energy. And energy efficiency was the only, it was the most tangible way 
uh, in in quantitative way to like measure that benefit. Uh, so I fell in love with it. Fell in love with HVAC. Was there for for a number of years, um, and then uh, well, realistically, I was only there for like four or five years, um, but I was cocky enough to believe that I could do it on my own. Yes, yeah, so, love that. Like, like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went ahead and I like started Inside Energy, uh, Inside Energy, Energy Group, which like sounds like a group of companies, but it's it's like me grouping together other companies and me just being a contractor to like manage. Yeah. So, so what we yeah. did was uh, we, we performed energy audits uh, in commercial and industrial buildings. Uh, and then would act as a contractor with a group of companies uh, to implement different solutions. So we go into a building, and you know, you've got you've got twenty year old light bulbs, and you've got a fifteen year old heating system, and you need insulation. So then I I'm the GC on getting those other trades in there to make those adjustments, and I get them the rebates from the utility company, uh, so on and so forth. So yeah, it's so. So there's a lot of founders and a lot of people who are looking, you know, maybe thinking about starting something up um, who are maybe listening to this. I do want to say um, the whole concept of minimum viable product in terms of something that just kind of does the job and, you know, isn't pretty in their own words. Um, I recall one time me asking Aaron, like, Hey man, what was, what was your product? What did you, what did you do? And he was like, well, it was pretty much a glorified Excel sheet. And I kind of just, you know, it, that was my secret sauce. And uh, I think that's why I ended up joining EnergyX because you were like, whoa, you can do this. Like there's a software platform that does this. Like, so that's, that's sort of that story. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. I mean, I, that was one of the biggest challenges with, uh, with a company like that compared to a startup or a SaaS company that I, I live in now is there, there is no scalability involved in what I was doing at least in, in the way that I was running it and, and seeing a product like we had at energy X or have at energy X and especially to see the genesis of where it came now uh, and how much yeah. of, of what was historically a very manual process uh, was automated with even more accuracy um, was was a no-brainer plus the fact that i would have like a consistent paycheck helped too <laughs> so so talk to me about the point where you decided to start uh your own company i know you talked about it a bit and then the point where you realized i can't make this work i need to follow the money yeah That's the way. yeah yeah it's a great question um, so the point where I started, I always told myself, um, that I was told myself that I wanted to be a consultant. I don't know why. I think it sounded cool. Um, and then as I got into energy, I was like, oh yeah, I could be an energy consultant. And as I, as I didn't, as I worked as an energy consultant for, for some time, I, I really thought to myself, I could do this on my own. Um, I ended up leaving the, the company for, for a variety of reasons um, and but took that opportunity to try it on my own right I didn't have anything else lined up at the time um, I really wanted to, to do this so I, I I put in the work I, I made the calls I, I knocked on the doors back when you could 
and 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 got clients and, and sold it. Um, for, that worked for some time and had a number of pivots within it. Um, but it, it really truly ended up being, you know, I'm working for four or five different clients. Right. And that's sort of it. I'm, I'm almost like an in-house uh, energy person for these four or five different clients. And when the opportunity came up with energy X, I remember it, it wasn't, it wasn't your typical job application. I, I had. Oh, I remember. I, I remember I, this part, but, but continue, <laughs> continue. So I, I, this was after this whole RFP meeting, right? Um, when, I think it was a couple months after I, I literally, uh, I remember I met you in like April or May. And then I think, and then I think like four or five months later, we were looking to expand the sales team and, um, I remember our CEO Nishant came up to me. He's like, you remember that Aaron guy? He's like, yeah, he's looking to, he's looking to join us for sales and yeah, I'll take a meeting with him. And, um, well, I think, I think, I think that's really how a lot of the best stories start just people being, yeah, I don't know. The traditional job interview is, doesn't really work anyways. So anything that's not the traditional job interview, quite frankly, I, I buy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think there's a process to it. And I think uh, at scale, there's like, there's certainly a process you need to go through, but when you have people who have like come into your, your world or your sphere for particular reasons, then it's a good time to jump on it, I guess. Right. And, and I came in, I came in truly not looking for a job. Like I, I had messaged Nishant on LinkedIn because he had just posted about the race and I was like, man, that's wicked. Congrats. Um, love to see it you know he's like yeah you should come down and see the new office so I, I i slept down to king street and and saw the new place and he was like all right so we're hiring for three positions like in true like salesperson fashion he's like we're hiring yeah. for a project manager we're hiring for a developer and like you're out on that obviously and we're hiring for a salesperson um and like explained the roles to me and like i had never been in in a sales role before. I never thought of myself as a salesperson. No salesperson ever. If you ask them, what did you want to be when you grow up? Nobody says a salesperson. <laughs> it's like the last career that people ever envision themselves getting into. And I never really gave him much thought, but he was like, yep, yeah, you're going to be able to connect with utility executives and there's a ton of travel. I was like, okay, this sounds great. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Um, and that's, that's how it started. And then two, two or three weeks later, I was, I was, I was in and joined full time. That's awesome. Um, and for those who were listening, uh, I started about six, seven months before um, Aaron and as the marketing person at the time and Aaron being uh, soon the only salesperson um, there, I think a lot of people will resonate with, um, and especially in early stage teams, the idea of starting, you know, a sales and marketing, like a line process, um, from the ground up. So I got to mm-hmm. ask, man, uh, how's your relationship with HubSpot these days? Are you still using it? What's, what's the deal there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I live in it. I live in it, man. Um, it's like, it's the first thing I see in the morning and the last thing you see before I, before I, I feel out. sorry for you, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we are a, a relatively well, 
metric-driven organization right now. And uh, because of that, I'm, I'm living in my CRM for sure, right? Um, the, the, uh, the fact is also that different from many other organizations, we don't have typical account executives or BDRs and reps. Uh, it's sort of really all is in one. Um, so when you're doing everything from, from prospecting to contracting, um, not by contracting, but prospecting to negotiations, uh, you are you need some sort of system to manage your life. Otherwise, you'll lose track of everything. So bring me back to 2018 and going into 2019. Um, as a full cycle uh, sales executive, how many outbounds did you have to do per day to have a feasible shot of reaching your sales target? So it, it, was, it was a little bit different, I think. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll set the stage here as well, I think, because I think it's important. Um, the fact that we work with utility companies and there are only X amount of utilities in North America um, and even less so above a certain threshold that we typically like to engage with. Of, uh, um, of user base. So, I remember I remember doing that with you. But right. So, so, so we'll only have, you know, uh, 600 in total prospects. Um, so, so the goal here is 100% to go deep and not wide. So my, my first week and my second week on the job, I was, I was shipped down to a conference in Denver. Yeah, uh, eSource. I remember that eSource. E yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was, that was, that's prospecting, right? So, you know, I, I'd, be, I'd be in the U.S., uh, every few weeks at a different conference, making connections and relationships there. Um, certainly had like a fair share of cold calls. Um, not not to the point where I was making a hundred calls a day, because uh, as I know some BDRs do, and 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 I think that that is certainly warranted in some industries. Um, but a lot of my time was spent really getting incredibly intimate with those prospects. Um, where I, I would know every possible thing there is to know about them uh, and really sort of crafting my approach right from the get-go. Um, I remember when, and sorry to interrupt, but I remember when we started adopting like account-based methodology uh, stuff and I was helping you craft some messaging once. And I, and I literally remember us like sitting down looking at prospects and I was like Googling like, like what their, <laughs> I was like, like I remember somebody was like, does this guy like basketball? Does this guy like basketball? Yeah. We were just like, are they from Oregon? Are they like a Badgers fan or something? And you shit created like that? and you created program manager Peter. Yeah, something like that, man. I don't really remember. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I did want to touch on a piece. Um, you talked about being metrics driven, and you also talked about conferences, which are not as much of a thing, but or, or at all these days. But um, Talk to me about, um, did you guys ever figure out what your cost to acquire a lead or, um, you know, what sort of the cost to acquire a customer was, um, did that, you know, become a relevant metric? Um, how was that thought of, um, yeah. in a long sales cycle? Talk to me about that piece. For sure. So, so it, it was, it was, but we took it with a very big grain of salt. 
right? Um, we help, we use that to help inform conference budgets, for example, right? So if, if we look back and if I attended, you know, and conferences uh, over the course of a year and your average conference has a cost of about $2,000 uh, plus the cost of drinks and yada yadas while you're at the conference itself yeah. uh, you, you end up spending anywhere between 15 to 20k a year uh, on that um, the reality is you close two deals from those conferences right at a I won't go into the numbers, but you do the math like, based on that multiple. Um, yeah, it's well worth it. Um, so, so we did it. Again, we did it. We took it with a large grain of salt, um, uh, because the fact of the matter is, is that we're not gonna we're not gonna let a metric on conference closure rates dictate that completely. Right. We also had a number of deals close completely virtually right um, so metrics like that go out the window when you're closing deals during covid and you can't forget about conferences you can't fly down to get someone to sign on the dotted line uh, and and close the contract right so that's it's an ever-evolving process and metric so tell us about how um that evolved because uh, when I left EnergyX, um, I remember conferences were very much in play and it was very much part of the strategy to spend uh, 10, 20K uh, within a year or even six months on, a con on conferences and like sales person operating budget. But talk to me about um, some of the tactics you guys did to shift uh, to a virtual uh, growth uh, cycle. Yeah. Yeah, um, we, we, we were particularly well positioned. Um, so, so a, a quick, uh, I think primer is important here. Um, for so people who aren't, who have yeah, never yeah. worked for an efficiency <laughs> startup. Yeah, which is the vast majority, I'm sure, of your listeners. Um, yeah. But what Energy X specifically does, or particularly does rather, is uh, we developed virtual energy assessment tools. So historically, uh, energy audits or energy assessments are done by energy auditors or contractors that go into people's homes. Uh, we've managed to get an entire process virtual and remove the contractor from the equation in many of the cases um, and still deliver incredibly accurate uh, savings opportunities for the customers and for the utilities as well. Uh, I, I'm only going to mention that part because it's relevant for this because during COVID, obviously, uh, utilities were not sending contractors or auditors into people's homes. So there was an immediate need for a virtual auditing platform. So that certainly helped uh, a lot. Uh, at the same time, though, utilities run, utilities run energy efficiency programs where they incentivize customers to consume less energy. Um, those budgets to do that were also dramatically increased with many utilities over the past mm. year as well. So it, it may have been a wash at the end of the year. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some interesting studies on that at some point from people who are a lot smarter than us. Uh, but, but I think, I think we had a, we had a bit of a, of an edge there uh, with that virtual requirement. Um, came from relationships that came from like spending two years prior building relationships and having connections and 
and going to those conferences because you're not going to close all those deals, right? Sales cycles with, with um, at least in this space, you're looking at anywhere from one to five years. Hey, I, I agree and remember that. Um, I did want to, uh, just because not everybody understands the concept of a, of a virtual energy, home energy yeah. audit, I do want to point out that uh, I remember back in 2019, the virtual energy audit was something that was like new to the company. And I remember like only, you know, one customer like thought it was like maybe a good idea. It hadn't been like fully paid for yet, but um, I do want to underscore like it was at the time, like kind of a risk to produce it. And I believe there was, you know, government incentives uh, from, an, from the AI side to, to, to produce like a AI powered virtual energy audit. But um, I think everybody is so obsessed with the idea of, you know, product market fit and validation that I did just want to say, like, this is an example of, you know, a company just building some shit that they thought would help the world and the world happens and that product becomes the thing that people exactly need. So uh, long story short, uh, uh, have faith in, in what you want to build sometimes. So that's just the point I wanted to make. Um, but uh, yeah, um, moving, moving gears a little bit, uh, utilities in case uh, um, our audience has not clued in. Um, are super large companies and the sales cycle is, is super long. Um, so you talk about relationship building, but how do you bridge the relationship building gap um, when you can't meet them? To close a deal, you need to convince you know, five, 10, 15 people to like your product. How do you do that? I can't hear you, Aaron. Aaron, you're on mute. Thanks, you're buddy. on mute. You actually <laughs> know yourself. Yeah, no, no, I did it on purpose so that you don't get any feedback on your end. But um, I, I think you made you, you said an important, important word there, and it's not that they like your company. They gotta like you, right? People do business. People they like, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, but they have to trust you, right? And at the end of the day, we have to be willing to walk away from business if it's not truly useful. Um, and I think that's, especially now at a time where people, customers, right? And utilities um, truly stand to benefit from different innovative tools. Uh, when, when, when you approach that, discussion or situation with absolute honesty and humility and and curiosity as well in many cases um i think that leads to i don't want to say necessarily more more deals closed but but the 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 quality of those deals or the quality of that level of prospecting i think goes up significantly because you're you're really going after it to help as much as you possibly can as opposed to just sell a widget um not that there's not value in selling widgets and i think there's huge value in that um but we we try and and like i said go deep not wide i remember um speaking on the point of building trust uh one time helping you prepare to give 
uh, a speech that we'd qualified for at a conference. I believe it was in San Antonio and oh, you were positioned as an authority figure and, and you, and you had to give uh, a 10 minute talk about some topic. I don't remember what it was. Um, did you find that doing things like that from a content sort of like leadership perspective helped you build that first grain of trust with some people that you needed to in order to uh, get into this world? Yeah, yes, short answer. But I think trust comes in two forms because, um, and I think that kind of trust is the is of a lower quality than other trust. So, so you can buy trust, right? And buying trust comes in the form of what we did there, which was pay to speak at at a, at a at a conference. Um, granted, I mean they, they don't let just anybody do that, um, but. That's oh, I remember. I, I had to do a, I do a shitload of paperwork to help you. Oh, yeah. To help you get, yeah, I remember. For, for sure, right? And, and, and that was ridiculous. We, but... we know what we're talking about as a company, right? Um, so, so there's that like broad level of trust, right? Where we're positioned as an as, a, as an authority figure, right? Mm -hmm. um, versus versus organic trust. So that's you know. Uh, you engaging with every other industry professional on LinkedIn and asking questions and providing insight and, and things like that, uh, as well as the trust I mentioned before and telling a, a prospect or a client that this isn't a good fit, right? What we have truly can't help you based on your needs. Um, that creates a ton of trust as well, uh, that we're not just chasing a commission check here. Um, yeah. It'll come, <laughs> it'll come, yeah, but at a client or a prospect truly believes that you have their best interest in mind uh, because you do. So I want to say for the audience that, you know, Aaron sounds like he's speaking at a sales conference right now with, you got to build trust with your prospects, like stuff like that. Um, but oh, I do want to, I do want to point out that um, someone who does know Aaron, you know, he does live that. There was, I do remember in your first like three or six months, I think there was um, a potential big client who did, who was like, a, you know, like somebody who is like firmly in the middle of our pipeline. And I don't remember the exact conversation, but we did kind of make the call at some point that this company, um, although they would have been a great get, um, that this company, which shall be unnamed, wasn't going to be a fit for what we did. And I thought that was, first of all, well, like at the time, it, it just seemed like, frankly, a little bit crazy. And like, maybe like a, maybe like a, like a, a, a career stupid. suicide move or a stupid move. But, um, but I do just want to illustrate that point that Aaron actually well, alongside, you know, the, the team did come up with this idea that like, look, just because this company has a lot of money based on the way they were in, 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 in some meeting, you can tell culturally they're not the right fit. They weren't going to, you know what I mean? Uh, so walk us through, through that. How did you come to this idea that, hey, just because they have money, uh, how do we know, you know, they, they weren't the right fit? It's, it's, that's, that's certainly part of it but i think also um and i say this now with hindsight is 2020 being eyebrow deep in in configurations um 
that it's not worth the headache further on down the line and will cost you more money at the end of the day trying to make a particular client happy with something that you just simply cannot do um that's that's the biggest thing right i mean trying to avoid if you think that a client's going to churn on you a year in anyways uh, and you're just selling them on snake oil at the beginning uh being brutally honest with yourself and what's happening there uh will save will save your reputation your company's reputation and and a lot of dollars in the process in and trying to make a particular client happy that just doesn't doesn't fit doesn't fit with your roadmap doesn't fit with your uh, mission and purpose as an organization and um, it just doesn't fit <laughs> i think a lot of startups fought, uh, struggle with that between keeping the lights on and and uh, you know if you're a team of developers are you developing SaaS or are you just a dev shop for like the latest thing your your client says or whatever but yeah. uh, that's a really good and point if, and if you're a dev shop that's fine you're, you're a deaf shop, right? Um, but I guess, yeah, it's being, being very aware uh, of, of that role you play, right? But, uh, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so when we, think, uh, when we think back to, you know, lead generation for you guys in a virtual world what does that now look like does that look like a lot like outbound did you guys develop enough of a relationship base in your in-person days that you can just keep drawing on that or did you fully convert it to an outbound process yeah um so i i think i think the bulk of it uh, is based on previous relationships uh, to be honest um We've seen we've seen new reps come in that have struggled with that process a little bit and not having that relationship. Those prior relationships. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've definitely pulled on that and, and leveraged introductions as well, um, and leveraged relationships as part of cold calls too, right? So let's um, so hold up. So hold up. Let's talk about the the very obvious thing uh, when it comes to sales ops and building out a sales team. You being the longest tenured. Uh, uh, I'll say account executive. So, so everybody else listening to the podcast sure. understands um, that now you've got other reps coming in and you almost manage like a sales t- territory of relationships. So these guys come in and they say, well, I've got no deal flow. Aaron, I need you to set the dinner table for me and introduce me to, to five people. How does that work for you? Do you, um, do you split the deal? Do you transition to an account management role so they can do most of the selling? Um, are you, you know, managing them, sort of holding their hand? Talk to me about, you don't have to talk about the exact process, but sort of the philosophy behind it. Because I'm sure there are a lot of companies that are out there, you know, that are going through that right now. New reps are coming in. It's like, where is it? You know? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so I, I think again we've got a a pretty unique process uh, where we truly do uh, strictly hire reps with industry experience, or at least try to. Uh, right. And that industry experience comes with relationships and a phone book that you can call on. Uh, we have though hired reps without industry experience. Um, we've had it once where you know reps would come in and trade the conferences, and that's great. 
right? Like you can you can smooth your way through a conference and and and, and develop friendly relationships with people. Um, but it is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Make no mistake about it. Uh, it is incredibly difficult to get into a new industry right now and have to make cold calls or uh, cold in-mails or emails um, or, or, or set up a full vidyard blast and, and <laughs> send out uh, video uh, hellos. It's tough, there's no doubt. Um, so yes, we'll, we'll definitely make as many introductions as we possibly can, right? Like we all, we're all very even playing field uh, at the company, right? So we really do want to help each other, uh, whether it's whether it's my deal or not, or we've shifted a deal, right? If I've had a deal that I've had no activity on, and somebody's gone on cold on me for the last year, as hard as it is to give it away, I'm going to give it away to somebody else um, and see what progress they can make and try make an introduction. Um, so we'll, we'll certainly help as much as we possibly can, but uh, there's, there is a bit of, of a broad philosophy of jumping in with both feet at the same time um, and getting your feet wet. In case you haven't picked up on it, whether you're a founder, um, someone in marketing or in sales in general, uh, Aaron should probably be your blueprint for uh, doing well in sales and, you know, customer, whatever, uh, without having too many, uh, ulterior motives, because you can just tell that, you know, that's never the place that, uh, he's come from just about every step of the, um, way. Uh, but as we listen to somebody who's, you know, been an entrepreneur to somebody who's been, uh, one of the first sales reps, for an enterprise uh, product and anyone who's been in that space in any way knows that's not, those are two separate difficult things. Um, so talk to our audience about how you deal with it all in terms of dealing with burnout, stress, all that stuff as it you know becomes a little bit too much for you at times. Yeah. I think, I think dealing with burnout has been a very real thing for me uh, this past year. And it materializes in a number of different ways. For me, the biggest way it materializes is certainly in a, with a decrease in productivity, right? Um, as opposed to an increase of, of stress, I, I'll, I'll see that happen for sure, right? Um, I think... You know, we're, we try and be very upfront about that at the company um, and, and try and do what we can to get ahead of that as much as possible. So, for example, we've instituted a new policy recently uh, yeah. for mandatory, mandatory vacations. Yeah, um, you have to take That's vacation. Good. Yeah, not enough vacations were taken last year at all uh, across the entire company. Nice. Um, so it's it's now a a mandatory requirement that people take their vacation time every year. And Sounds like uh, something that I would have instituted because I was always taking my vacations. Yeah, yeah, you would have. Yeah, lead by yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was off to Europe whenever I could be, but, uh, but like, but that's so important, right, for you. And and you were such a, and I'm sure you still are now, such like an incredibly productive and effective leader within the organization, um, that. You know the fact that you, you, you were were gallivanting around the world, uh, 
at times you still maybe maybe you, maybe you had that be part of like the fire that was lit inside of you for to do everything else but you were still like a very effective leader yeah. made it yeah it really does um yeah and and to that point about uh guaranteed vacations um it doesn't have to be around europe um i'm literally i was literally texting my friends right now about uh um going to, Park? Going to like kingston or some shit like that like literally right now we're, we're like <laughs> Man, let's go to like Kingston or like let's go to yeah. Napanee. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but um, but but yeah, as somebody who you know is 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 becoming a new father, um, who you know, oh, sorry, is a new father, you know, has to you know give birth in his own way, which is you know, you know, produce. He has, you you have to give birth to a nine month uh enterprise sales contract yeah, yeah 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 what's what's the longer nine months the sales cycle or the or the yeah. pregnancy which, which labor is more painful which labor is more painful yeah. uh, that's that's super interesting um one question i sometimes like to ask people is okay um you're given uh 10 million dollars carte blanche um it's non-dilutive uh, money to start uh, your own business uh, or software company, what would it be? Camping store. Camping store? Yeah. <laughs> just, just literally a camping, not, yeah. not a, not a virtual, not a virtual subscription camping store thing with, you know, 20 K re recurring revenue. No, nah, nah. <laughs> <But laughs> no, but I don't, awesome. I, don't know, I don't know if you're looking for a better answer. I, I, I see a ton of value um, in, in, I see a ton of value in, in SaaS startup business models. There's no doubt. I'm a huge believer in it. I, I've invested my life into one, uh, but I also see a ton of value in, in sort of old, old school um, brick and mortar, hands on the wheel type of businesses as well. I I agree because not not a. I think I think that the government is like trying to encourage more innovation, but uh, see what would happen to the world if every single if every kid coming out of school wanted to be the the, the, the CEO and co-founder <laughs> of the next greatest startup. I don't think it would go so well for everyone, but you I think, know, I think a lot of things have to be done. Yeah, for sure. But. Um, yeah, I, uh, w wait, before we end here, why a camping store? What, what is the, you know, origin story of how, you know, you became sort of this, you know, real life caricature of a, the, of a lumberjack with the yeah, right. boring or how, how did that happen? <laughs> I, I was, I was a community tripping guide, uh, in Algonquin Park for many, many, many years. Um, before I, I got into the, the startup world. Um, and I, I see the real importance uh, that it has on people's lives, on kids' lives in particular. Um, so I see that being incredibly transformative in, 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 in how people live their lives with intention, but also in the they're like sustainable approach to life as well. 
uh, and lower impact and how they can be good stewards of the land, uh, which are all reasons why I, I work in energy efficiency as well. Uh, but if I was doing 10 million bucks, I'll sell tents all day. That's awesome. Um, somebody who represents uh, a sustainable process, not only for home energy audits, the enterprise sales cycle, uh, being a father, uh, being a great teammate, uh, you know, Aaron is, Aaron is all of those things and, and more. Uh, one last thing before we let you go here, is there something that you want to plug? Uh, most people, uh, you know, they say like, Hey, contact me at my Calendly cause they have their own business, but, uh, or, or some people even say like, Hey, I like this charity or I like this initiative, but, uh, what's something you want to give a shout out to? Oh boy, catch me off guard with that one. Um, you can just, just connect with me if you like. Uh, I always love to chat about anything. Aaron Savati everywhere. Um, but also follow the, the cool work we're doing at EnergyX. It's, it's really exciting. If you live in Toronto um, or in Ontario, rather, you can use our platform. Um, so hit me up about that as well. And you can see, see what the, the story is there. Uh, and, and see if we can help as many people as we can uh, reduce their energy costs within their home and, and live a little cleaner. I will post a link to EnergyX's website in the show notes. Aaron, it was great to have you on. Man. Pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Makeshift CMO. If you want to follow what we're doing to help early stage startups, founders, and marketers subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. For all business inquiries, please email us at bruce at thebannermarketing.co or follow us on IG at banner.co.